I remember the day after I was saved. I remember what happened really clearly when I was saved, but the day after I was saved and the emotions and the feeling and the experience that accompanied that, I felt that my soul had a purpose, that God had taken hold of it and was going to take it somewhere. I felt the weight of the world that was on my shoulders was now gone. I felt as light as a feather. I felt like the trust that I'd so desperately sought after had been restored. And there was now someone in my life, Christ, who I could trust. I felt truly alive. Jesus is good. He does these things. He saves us. He is our saviour. Jesus is so, so good and today i want to remind us of how good jesus is i want you to walk from this place encouraged by the goodness of jesus and what made him so good was the power of the holy spirit that lived in him that bore fruit in his lives that's the fruit that paul talks about that robin just read to us And Paul says that if we live by the flesh, if we do all the things that our human nature wants to do that break down other things, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. But but the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to reside in us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The list keeps going. Not there yet. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Paul could not have described the spirit of Jesus more accurately than those words. Jesus bore this fruit and people saw it hanging from his lives every day. It was the fragrance that people caught as people walked with Jesus. It was the taste that they encountered when Jesus ministered to them. And so today I want us to not only remember, but know how good Jesus is. Not only as a historical figure, but our living Lord and Saviour right now, today. And we're going to do it looking through the lens of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. We're going to talk about some stories that connect Jesus to that. So let's start with joy. I'm going to round out with love. That's the easy one. Let's talk about joy. There's a story in the scriptures. It's in Luke 10, where Jesus sends out his disciples. And there's 72 of them at the time. So the 12 and then, well, you do the maths, another 60 of them. And he puts them in pairs and he sends them out. And he says, go with my blessing and my power. And you will find that even the devil, even the dark spirits that you will encounter will quake at the voice, at your voice as you say my name. So go to those who need me, go to these places, don't take anything with you, rely only on my spirit and they go. And it's incredible. And they return to Jesus and the joy is bubbling out of them. They're ecstatic of what they've been able to do just in the name and the power of Jesus. And Jesus starts grinning. He is filled with joy. It's just bubbling out of him. And he says, I praise you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and the people that we all think they should get it. You've hidden it from them and you've revealed it to these guys. They're like little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. He sees the disciples living out this faith, this daring faith, this unsafe faith, this dangerous faith. And every step they take, it brings joy to Jesus. Jesus looks at the way that we follow him. And he is joyful when we are faithful. When we take steps of faith, when we say words of faith, when we encourage, when we visit the sick, when we find the poor and we bless them, that brings such joy to Jesus. Your obedience brings such joy to Christ. And then we have a peaceful God, a peaceful Jesus. We looked at this last week. John 20, the disciples are locked behind closed doors. They don't know that Jesus has been resurrected yet. And Jesus goes to them in their fear and their loneliness and their desperation. And he goes to them with peace. He goes with them to bring peace to the angst that they are feeling. Paul later on describes that peace in Philippians. He says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the peace found in Jesus, received only from Jesus. Because Jesus was peace personified. You couldn't rattle him. You couldn't stress him. You couldn't make him go to his wits ends. He exuded a peace about him. Everything he did was calculated. Jesus wants you to know and experience that same peace. And he's going to keep on giving it to you. He's going to keep on giving it to you. When you think you've blown it, or you've lost it, or you've started worrying again, Jesus is going to keep giving his peace to you. Because that's who he is. That peace can hold you safe in any storm. And Jesus is patient. Thank goodness Jesus is patient, right? Anyone here struggle with impatience? Like Every so often, a little bit, maybe. We've recently nicknamed Zari Puddles. And she, she might not say it this morning, but she secretly enjoys that nickname. The reason we call her Puddles is because she likes to take her time doing things. So you're checking out the puddles, are you, Zaz? Yeah. She likes to puddle at things. So she'll puddle at mealtime. You know when you sort of move your food around and create things with it and separate it and categorize it and think about it and ponder it and we're finished. Zari just... Eat your food. Oh, that's right. Zara, we need to go out. I'm just going to put my shoes on. Just looking at the laces, moving the laces around. Does it fit? Which foot? I can fit it on this foot. I can hide them. I can put them away. Zari, she, she increases my urgency meter quite considerably. She helps me see how patient I am not. And sometimes when we're, we're coming to church and we're, we're going to school, it's like, come on, Zaz. But Jesus... In one of the most stressful circumstances you can ever put a human being in. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's awaiting the betrayal and the arrest and, and the, the world to fall down on him. And he asks his disciples to pray. Remember that story? Just come pray with me. 
and he leads them in and he leaves the, the nine of them there or eight of them there and then he takes the three a bit further and he leaves the three there and he goes further in to pray by himself and he comes back and they're asleep. They're all asleep. I would lose the plot. Like if I, if I were Jesus, hang on, hang on guys. This is the pinnacle, the climax, the most important moment of all of history and you've fallen asleep. But Jesus comes back and says, can't you stay awake? I'm going back to pray. Pray with me. And he goes again. And then he returns and they've fallen asleep and he wakes them up again and he goes back to pray. Now, Jesus is always already miles ahead of where I am. And he, then he goes back and they've fallen asleep again. And that's when he says, all right, this is enough. Let's go. Let's do it. Jesus exuded patience. It fell out of his life. He had such an understanding and reliance on God's time rather than our time. As he's in the most excruciating moment any human being can go through, he is patient. Jesus is more patient with you than you are with you. You know, when we look at our lives and we go, oh, I just wish I could shift that or change that or do that, but I never seem to, I just can't. And Jesus goes, I'm still patient with you. I'm interested. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm patient with you. Jesus is good, isn't he? Jesus is so good. And Jesus is kind. When we, when we look at a God who holds all of creation, everything we can fathom, including heaven and hell in his hands, Kind isn't the word you arrive at when you think about a God like that, is it? He doesn't have time or space for kindness. He is the creator of all, God Almighty. But Jesus, the episodes he has with people, the encounters, they are chock full of kindness. You just open the gospel and you will find the presence, of the kindness of Jesus. And what, what struck me was Matthew 14. A man comes to Jesus and asks for his daughter to be healed, 12-year-old daughter to be healed. And Jesus is moved and says, I will go and, and heal her. And as he goes to leave, he discovers that the daughter has died. And so obviously the man is devastated and Jesus says, basically, we're going to go and resurrect her. We're going to bring her back to life. And as he's on his way, he's walking through a crowded, crowded street and a woman reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment. Just briefly, just grabs it, just touches it and lets go. And he stops because he knows the power has gone from him. And he turns around and he finds a woman. And we discover that that woman has been bleeding for years. And Jewish law says she should not be there. She should not be in the crowds around other people. She's unclean. She's not welcome to be there according to Jewish law. And so... So we have this interaction about to happen with the highest of heaven and the lowest of society. And what does Jesus say? This is what Jesus says in Mark 14, 14. He says, take heart, my daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. 
when Jesus speaks to you, he will speak to you with a kindness. He may say things you don't enjoy. He may address issues in your life, but he will say it with a sense of wanting to care for your soul as he says it. What about the goodness of God? Goodness of God. How good is, is Jesus? His, his goodness seems to be constantly on display, like with the ten lepers. You know the story of the ten lepers? These ten lepers are wandering in no man's land. A leper was cast out of society. There was no community for lepers, so they found community with one another. They had to wear a bell wherever they went. Think about how humiliating that is. A bell that says, stay away, don't look at me, keep your distance. They had to claim what was wrong with them as they entered places where others might be so that others would have a chance to leave before they could arrive. And these 10 lepers, they're walking around in this place between Samaria and Galilee. That's no man's land. No one ever went to Samaria, from Samaria to Galilee. It was just never happened, unless, of course, you were Jesus, who went to find those who dwelt in that space, who'd been rejected. And his goodness causes him to go to those on the outskirts of society, to those everybody else has rejected, to those people were scared of. And the scripture says, and when he saw them, now we go, well, that's nice. It's what happened. He saw them. Everybody wanted to unsee, to not see, to ignore somebody with leprosy. They were never seen, never, ever seen. And Jesus sees them. And not only sees them, but really sees them and offers them. He says he offers them healing and hope and inclusion back into society. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's so good. He could have done what everybody else did and just looked away, but he sees them. He is so good that he enables us to see how bad we are and to see his goodness and move toward that goodness. Repentance is seeing how bad you are and leaving it for Jesus' goodness. What about faithfulness? Jesus is just so faithful. He's commenced his ministry. He's been baptized and he's ready to take on the world. And then the Spirit comes, as Luke says, and drives him out into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray. And whilst he's there, the devil comes to him. And the devil tempts him. And, and when we break down those, those things that they're in the desert and the devil's saying, can you even prove that you're the son of God? Like he hasn't done anything yet. He's just been baptized. Can you prove you're the son of God? You prove it to me and you can have it all. Have it all, he says. But Jesus is faithful. And he says to the devil, God gives me what I need. I don't need anything from you. And then the devil takes him up to the highest point of the holy city where he can see all of God's people and, and everything. And the devil dares him. He says, bet you couldn't throw yourself down here. Would the angels catch you? He's just tempting him, goading him. And Jesus says, I'm only going to do what my father wants. I don't have to prove God to you. I'm only going to do what he wants and he will be made clear. And then we see the devil take Jesus to this mountaintop and look over all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give it to you all 
as if he had the ability to give it. I'll give it to you all. But Jesus is faithful and he says, God is all I want and all I need. Silences him. He is so faithful. So faithful. What about his gentleness? What about his gentleness? We hear the story. We hear the story where Jesus' best friend, his confidant, his cousin, the one that he probably could talk about this Messiah deal with that nobody else would get, John the Baptist, is beheaded. He's distraught. He's grieving. He's brokenhearted. And he says, let's just go over to the other side of the lake where I can pray, where I can move away from the people and the crowds and the craziness and just get away. So he withdrew there from a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard and saw where he was going, they followed him on foot. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He has compassion on them in the moment of his greatest grief. And instead of being stroppy, instead of being sharp, instead of going, I just need a break. He's gentle. It actually says that he is filled with compassion and he heals their sick. That compassion is this heart-wrenching gut feel. It's, it's when you hear about someone's circumstances and your heart breaks for them. That's the compassion that Jesus had as he stood on the boat and he looked at them. He is just moved toward them with this gentleness to help. He's moved with the same gentleness toward you. He is gentle toward you. He wants to care for you. How about a God that is full of self-control? Willpower. Was there ever such a disciplined man as Jesus? Was there ever? We'll talk about the cross in just a moment. But the self-control to not only embrace the cross, but hang on the cross when he could have ended it all with a nod. Even when he's arrested, he's arrested, he's with his disciples, and Peter, thanks Peter, takes his sword out. Where'd you bring, why'd you bring a sword? Where'd the sword come from? Takes his sword out and attacks the high priest's servant, cuts off his ear. Disgusting. We're spared all the gory details, but disgusting. Would have been blood everywhere. Ugh. And Jesus stops, because the stop. And he picks up the man's ear, he heals the ear, but then he says the words that basically stop the world turning. Listen to these words. He says, Do you not think that I can call upon my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Right now. You underestimate this, Peter. You know, I can solve this if I need to. But how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? 
You know, a legion of Roman soldiers is 6,000. 12 legions is 72,000 angels. Good call. With a nod of his head, just press the big red button. Get me out of here. Boom, done. And the, the force and the weight of heaven arrives ready for battle. But he knew the scriptures needed to be fulfilled and his will, his self-control held him to doing what God had called him to do. He was so caught up in the will of God that anything contrary to that just slid away, even though he had the power to delve into it. When he calls us to things, he won't leave us. His will remains with us. His will is true. He is committed to us. He is committed to you. He is committed to where he is leading us to. And then, of course, there's love. There's love. Jesus is the full expression of God's love to us. Just think about that just for a moment. Jesus is the full expression of God's love to us. If you ever doubt whether you're loved by Jesus, all you need to do is look to the cross and what happened on the cross. And if you ever doubt that you're forgiven, if you think I've done something too unforgivable, just look to the cross and his words of forgiveness on the cross. And if you ever doubt your value, I know some of you doubt your value. Look at what he did on the cross to establish your value in his eyes. What love? What love? I'm not sure more loving words have actually ever been uttered than what Jesus said in his last gasps on the cross. He is dying on the cross. He's been arrested and betrayed by those closest to him. He's had an unfair trial. And he's now, to, um, he's now enduring an execution that was fit for the worst of the worst criminals in society, total traitors. And he says these words, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. What? Not sure I could, I want to have that much love, but that's a lot of love, right? That's somebody who is so defined utterly by love that anything that is not of love just slips away. Jesus cannot be anything other than love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control toward us. It's just outside of his character. And the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more his fruit will be born in our lives it's beautiful isn't it we can't manufacture the fruit it comes from a vine that is connected to christ this is the god we follow and i just i just wanted to remind you and remind me this is the god whom we follow who we can trust and who will lead us to wherever he chooses to lead us so i pray the holy spirit has encouraged your spirit this morning as we've basked in the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. I got involved in the implementation group as well. I'm a member of the implementation group. And 
we've had to make some decisions. Big decisions, difficult decisions. I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed last Sunday. It threw me back to the 90s. <laughs> I was hoping a couple of people would complain about the kids making a noise, <laughs> but no one did. <laughs> to see the church filled again, with children running around, being taken downstairs, brother, takes me back to the early 2000s. 2010, Colin left. We had a lot of discussions. How are we going to continue? What are we going to do? And what did we do? The same as we always did. We'll get a minister with kids and we'll bring all the kids in. Uh, no. As much as we wanted it, it didn't happen. We prayed about it. We didn't know what we were going to do. What are we going to do? We want to keep the church here. I wanted to keep the church here. I wanted to keep singing the old hymns. I didn't want anything to change, preferably. Unfortunately, a lot of people did want change. We actually talked about having a half-time minister. We could not afford a full-time minister. When we were talking about Leo, remember that? And it was a big decision to keep continuing. Could we afford a 75%? Could we afford a 50%? No, we'll swallow the bullet and we'll go for 100%. And we voted to bring Leo on, although we could not afford him. It was a step in faith, it really was. Regardless of what we thought, nah, it'll never work. It was a step in faith. And the church kept going. Unfortunately, we're pretty old. And we've lost a lot of loved ones. A lot of loved ones. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We went through some trials and tribulations. And I've been, because I'm the congregational chair and the council chair, it's been heavy on my heart. And then last Sunday, boom, wow. Are they going to come and sing our hymns? I don't think so. Most of the service is exactly the way that we do it anyway, as you were showing when they actually had their own service. However, we will have to make some compromises. What compromises can we take? What's going to, to what do we have to do? We've got to meet in the middle somewhere. Well, actually, we're not meeting in the middle, we're meeting on our side of the middle. One of the things that we've decided is we'll meet at 10 a.m. <laughs> An hour later. No, not too bad. I might have a bit of a longer surf in the morning. You might have a bit of a longer sleep in. And the other thing is we ain't going to sing as many of our old hymns that we'd like to. And I really love those old hymns. Well, we've got a solution for that too, which we will talk about and present at a later time. We've been asked to move our congregational time to 10 a.m. With due respect, we don't have children. Some of us no longer have a spouse. We've just got ourselves. We've got to come a week, an hour later. 
In return, Village Church is coming at 10 a.m. from 4 p.m. That's a big change. And it's a real big change. It's going to be hard for some of them. And more than that, they've got the children. It's not just themselves or oh, have a later breakfast. They've got the whole family to bring along. And they're making that concession so that we can make Sunday happen more often. To me, there were so many times. How many times have you, you thought about what's going to happen in the future and you pray about it and you think, I do anyway, I think, oh, there's A and there's B and there's C. Oh, which one would I do? And God comes along and does D, which I hadn't thought about. Mm. In our cogitations about what are we going to do with this church, this was not foreseen by anybody. It was not foreseen in all the councils that I took part in. I honestly believe that it is of God that we are moving together. So I'll ask you to pray for it. Think about the 10 a.m. This is ongoing. There will be changes. We're coming together and there will be things that we want to do. We're going to put together a joint council. At the moment, only Fiona and I are on that council from here. Understandable. People have served so much time in this congregation. They don't have the will all the time to do it any longer. I would hope that there'd be a couple more that have put up their names for the, for the council, but there isn't. So we're in this sort of quandary of, well, it's only going to be two of us on the council. There'll be more of them. No, there's no more them and us. It is we. There is one council, it is we. It is understandable if you can't stand for council, but talk to Fiona and I. If you want something done and you want to take it to council, then talk to us and we'll take it to council. Can't guarantee that it'll be done, but we can take it to council. And I've been working with the uh, village church for quite some time, and they are really, really putting all their energy into what we're doing here. We're the oldies, we're trying to bring people in. They're the young ones, they're going out. They're doing outreach that we could never ever do. We kept praying we could do, but we couldn't. And they came to us to do outreach. One of the things that people forget is Ralphie is our half-time minister. He is not a full-time minister. Remember that. And he won't be a full-time minister until we join together. We put a lot of work onto Ralph as a half-time minister that we should not have put on him, but we have. And he's taken it up and he's done it in goodwill. We were asked, what can we do to celebrate the combination of coming together for our first sermon? This is the new horizon. We threw around some ideas. I suggested that Ralph put on a suit and put on a dog collar and come along. <laughs> Went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> Might not have a beard by then. It's true, it's true. So what are we doing? We're, we're talking about moving to 10 o'clock. We will arrange our hymns so that we still get our hymns. And what was the other thing? 
as a name. We were Burley Hedge United Church and they were Burley Village Church. Now for us oldies out there, we don't realise that most of the people down there see Burley as a village. They've got a village mentality. To them, uh, it is a village. It's not a community in the sense that we think of it. Village name is very, very uh, popular to that group of people and the young people, the ones that we want to come here. So hence the name, very small change, we keep uniting in there, Burley Village Uniting Church. That will appeal to the youngest ones. Oh, this is a village church. Something's changed. Let's go and have a boat peep. And when they come along, they're not going to come along with their kids and see a group of oldies. Bless your hearts. They're going to see other kids here. It'll be welcoming. I'm so proud of you lot. You, you don't believe how proud I am that you lot have kept this church mm. going mm. until this could happen. That's what you've done mm. with your commitment and coming here. There's not many of us here today because it's raining, but that's what you've done. You have accomplished something that was way beyond what we believe could be done. Mm. You are the core of this church. You will always be the core of this church. Mm. We couldn't do the outreach any longer. We're bringing in young, energetic. How often have you had the, had the grandkids and said, oh, I can't do that anymore. I can't quit when I was a mother. That's what we're on. That's where we are. That's the life that we're at. Enjoyable, calm, we enjoy it at being at this level. And we kept that core, we kept that fire going. Mm. We can't go out and do all the outreach. It's too difficult, but they can. Mm. And, and to me, I'm, I, I'm just amazed when this happened. I am totally amazed this was solution D, which I didn't see coming. Mm. We've been praying about that. We're, so the, the concessions we're making is 10 o'clock instead of 9 o'clock, Burley Village United Church instead of Burley Hedge United Church, and we'll arrange for the hymns. Even if I come by myself to sing the hymns, <laughs> we'll arrange for the hymns. Virtually no concession to build on what you've kept going as a, as a core. Outside, there's a summary document of what we've been going through. I would urge you to take it and read it. You are still in control. This is still your church. This is the core of this church is still with you. You are not losing that. You never will lose that. And no one can ever take that away from you. One of the advantages that we have in the United Church is the congregation rules. It's not synod, it's not presbytery, it's the congregation. And that was you. You kept that going. And for that, we're eternally grateful. So please, as you go, take the summary document as you leave and read it. And any input you want, please give to Fiona or me. If you want to stand for combined council, by all means, come and see us. All right. Go and have your tea and enjoy your morning tea.